When I was about 12 years old, there was an older man at our church at that time uh, who every now and again would take me aside and give me some of his advice. And it was always the same piece of advice every time. Uh, So I do remember it quite well, even now, uh, 30 years later. Um, He told me that if I ever got into a fight with another guy, I should say to him, "Uh, listen, mate, if we get into this, there's going to be three hits. Me hitting you, you hitting the floor, and the ambulance hitting 60. (laughs) Now, I have never used that particular piece of advice. I remember it. Uh, But it obviously meant a lot to him that he should impart it repeatedly to the young guys at church. Now, so that was some of his personal wisdom about how do you approach conflict. Um, Now, all of us have our own wisdom, um, and we do often like to share it with other people. So think for a moment of the wisest person that you know. So what makes them wise, and how did they get their wisdom? Um, In the Bible, uh, wisdom is essentially what we might call a form of applied science. So you observe the world and how it works, and you pick out patterns that you can see. And then you can predict how things are going to happen in various situations. And this means that you know how to respond to things and how to help other people understand how to do it too. For instance, you observe that if you go into a fight with an aggressive stance, with the threat about the three hits that are going to happen, perhaps the other person will back down um, and you don't have to resort to physical violence. So it's a practical understanding of the world. That's wisdom. Um, This passage from Ecclesiastes that we've read today, it's a reflection about this kind of wisdom um, and about what wisdom can do and what it can't. Uh, In our series on Ecclesiastes so far, we've seen that this is a book that explores different approaches to life and sees how far they can get us along the path towards giving meaning and purpose to life. So the question is, how do we live well as creatures under the sun? Limited people who have a short life, and then we die. So the teacher of Ecclesiastes has looked at various things. He looked at money, looked at pleasure, and the pursuit of happiness. And all those things, he says, have their limits. While they're enjoyable, in the end, they are what he calls hevel, which our Bibles translate as meaningless, but which means things like smoke or mist or a vapour. So there's hevel. The teacher is actually quite pessimistic in this book about their ability to grasp onto the meaning of life. The question for Ecclesiastes then is whether accumulating wisdom will actually enable us to then understand the world and to overcome this hevel or this mist and see through it. And this appears to be a good strategy, isn't it? Because wisdom is actually a higher level pursuit. Wisdom is not selfish, it's not short-sighted. And so perhaps we think if we apply ourselves to understand the world enough, things will start to make sense and the mist will go away. And perhaps if you're wise enough, you'll also be able to live as people should and to be properly righteous before God. That's our hope. So in verse 25 he says... So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. So what he finds in this quest, though, are a few things that show the benefits of being wise, but I think he also finds the limits of wisdom in the end. 
You might have noticed that in the reading that we had from this passage, there were a mixture of sayings. Some of them are really positive about wisdom, and some are, quite, some are not. So we'll start with the positive things he says. In chapter 7, verse 11, he says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing, and benefits those who see the sun. So he says, wisdom is a good thing for us in this world. It's a benefit to us if we have wisdom. It's a shelter or a protection for us, he says in verse 12. So making good choices will protect us from the mistakes that we make and from hurting ourselves unnecessarily. Knowing what the world is like will help us to steer away from mistakes. If you have had small children in your life, you'll get used to steering them away from things like bumping their heads on the sides of tables or plunging forks into electrical sockets or eating manure or jamming Lego up their nose. You know, these, we, we steer them. This is wisdom. We protect you from making mistakes. Um, and if you happen to have some money as well, he says, as well as wisdom, you will do well in life. Uh, if you skip down to verse 19 in the passage, you see what he says, that wisdom can also give us power. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city, he says. By having knowledge and applying it well, making good choices, avoiding stupid and harmful mistakes, we can actually set ourselves up pretty well in life. It can be a source of great power. So if you were to stop there, that's one perspective on wisdom. It's a source of strength and goodness and success in life. And that's, this is a perspective that we find in the book of Proverbs, which is just before Ecclesiastes. So you might know Proverbs. It's another wisdom book in the Old Testament. And it's mostly made up of these wise sayings or proverbs about life. And the overall message of the book of Proverbs is that if you have wisdom, you have the key to a happy, prosperous, and righteous life. If you are wise, if you live well and please God, you will do well. If you are foolish and evil, you will suffer. So it's a straightforward message about wisdom in Proverbs. God has set up an orderly world where if you understand things, you will know how God wants you to live and you will succeed. Um, and on the, whole, on the whole, of course, that's true. And as, as Ecclesiastes says, wisdom is a benefit in life, and we all know that. But the teacher actually starts to look at things and says, wait a minute, this is not the whole story. This doesn't always happen, as Proverbs says. And he thinks this idea of the benefits of wisdom needs to be developed a bit more because it doesn't always work out as simply as Proverbs leads us to think. In verse 15 of our reading, he says, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Sometimes bad things happen to good, wise people and evil and foolish people sometimes do really, really well in life. So the world isn't quite as orderly as Proverb makes it out to be. There's a chaotic element to it. Things happen that we don't expect to happen, and people don't always get what they deserve. Um, and he's seen also that sometimes being very wise and righteous can get you into trouble because you end up in conflict with evil people or systems. And I think that's why he says at, some point, at one point, do not be overly righteous nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? So being wise and good is not necessarily a recipe for success. If what you want to do is to enjoy life and be prosperous, you've got to find a balance, he says. It might be better to be a bit unethical, just to kind of hedge your bets, be a bit wise. And this is what he's seen happen, that if you observe the world, it's a bit murky and a bit grey. And he asks, is there really such a thing as a truly wise person anyway? In verse 20 he says, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. 
So I think the limit of wisdom here in Ecclesiastes is the idea that wisdom doesn't in the end master our lives in the way that we hope. We are never as wise as we would want or need to be. So you might do all the right things, but it doesn't pay off for some reason. You might work hard, save your money, invest it well, plan your retirement out, and then we enter into a recession. The stock market crashes, you lose everything. Or the government decides to put a freeway through your neighbourhood and destroys the value of your property that you built up over many years. Or, um, you know, a while ago I met a man who was just on the cusp of completing his very careful plans for his final move in life. He was going to sell his house and move into a retirement village where he was on a waiting list for a long time. But in the meantime, just as he was ready to do it, the cost of the units rose just too much for him to afford, so he was stranded in temporary accommodation for all his wisdom. Um, So wisdom isn't always successful. So, you know, you might try the three hits, you say it, and then you get the hits back because they call you bluff. The other guy's a lot stronger than you. So wisdom doesn't always work. So I think the point here is that wisdom is not, in the end, the teacher would say, it's not an answer to the problem of meaning in life. And so the teacher here looks towards a deeper problem with wisdom, which is that... um, Our perspective on life as human beings may be so limited that our wisdom is not really wisdom at all. In verse 14 he says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider that surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. The point here is that we may think that we can perceive the pattern of the world and we think we understand it, but the universe is actually so vast, so mysterious, and God's purposes are so far beyond us that we might be deceiving ourselves completely when we pursue wisdom. And this is the perspective that we find in the other wisdom book in the Old Testament, which is the book of Job, and you may have read it. So Job is a story that we read about a very wise and a very good man who loses absolutely everything and is wrestling with God and the meaning of this. Why is he suffering? In the story of Job, his friends come to him and talk to him, and they tell him wise, proverb-style things about his situation, like, well, you're obviously suffering because you're evil. Good people always succeed. So I think that's something you should try with all your friends too when these things happen to you and see see how that goes. Um, But Job, he's actually a wise man. He knows this isn't true. There's no wisdom, there's no proverb that can explain the situation that he's in. And the revelation for Job comes when God speaks to him and reminds him that the world and everything in it, all the secrets of the universe that God has made, is beyond Job's comprehension. And his wisdom is not sufficient to grasp it. How can he expect to understand life and what happens to him? He is only a human being. So where are we left with this? So the conclusion of the teacher seems to be that human wisdom and goodness have definite limits to them. So we are in this mist of the Hevel. And even with the best vision we have, our wisdom, the brightest fog lamp, that you cannot see where you are going. Human wisdom can only see really what's right in front of us or a partial truth. And therefore... Human righteousness and goodness can only be limited as well because we really don't know where to go. Um, and I think this is obvious when we look at the world around us. You know, does it really seem to you that human beings really understand how to live well in the world? Do you think that the governments of our world know what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be going and how to get there? 
Now, a lot of people actually do think that, and I actually think this is behind the attraction that conspiracy theories have for a lot of people. Um, in a strange sense, it is comforting to believe that there is a shadowy group of people who are in control of the world and of history, even if you think those people have evil plans. Because at least someone knows what's going on and is in control. Um, but maybe no one does. Maybe not, not even world leaders. It can be easy when we're in a position, not in that position of leadership, to think that, well, maybe well, I do know how the world should be run. You know, you've heard of the armchair politician who knows everything about what the government should do. You know, if I was elected, I'd just make all these decisions. Everything would be fine. Um, but I think that what happens when we do find ourselves in positions of authority and leadership, we realise the limitations of our own wisdom and the complexity of the world. Now, if you're a parent, perhaps you might understand this. You know, there's no one wiser about parenting than someone who's never had children before, <laughs> let me tell you. How hard can it really be? Well, the reality is that no matter how hard you try, no matter how many parenting blogs you read, you will make mistakes with your children and you're constantly faced with not knowing how to respond to the barrage of problems that they have. Not that you have many. <laughs> they weren't here last time I gave this speech. <laughs> they have this sermon. So, you know, leading a church or running a business or other organisation is the same. There are so many things going on. There's so many problems and challenges in teams, in relationships, in finances, in property. How do you know how to bring change, how to bring growth? How do you, can you do what you need to do without doing more damage than good? And we see over and over again in the world good people in these kinds of situations, well-intentioned leaders making terrible mistakes, even using the best of their wisdom. And often the worst people succeed the most because their desires are more straightforward and they don't care who they hurt to get it. They get things done. So what are we going to do then? The teacher would sit back and say, well, that's how the world is. You accept it and you live with it. We can never be wise enough. He just doesn't know the answer. Just do the best you can. And so in the end, he directs us to God and calls us to fear him. But I don't think he can see the way that God will fulfill for us what is lacking in our wisdom and righteousness. And I think that's why, as always, in our looking at the, this topic, that we need to go further than Ecclesiastes and ask what Jesus would have to say about this particular problem. So, in, for instance, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 30, we read these words about Christians. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our, whole, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You and I are limited in our righteousness and our wisdom. God is not. But to get this wisdom, or the wisdom of God and his goodness into our lives, we do need a bridge between us and God, you know, so that we're not overwhelmed as Job was by God's wisdom displayed before us. But we're actually able to have access to the divine wisdom that's beyond the mist. Um, and that's one reason why Jesus came. Jesus, Paul says, is the wisdom of God in person. So God says to us in Jesus, you will never be wise enough or righteousness enough, righteous enough in yourself and your experience of the world should show you that your lack of wisdom, your lack of righteousness and your need to depend on me is ultimate. But where you lack those things, I will provide them and give my own son for you his wisdom and righteousness. And I think the place where we see the wisdom and righteousness of God coming together is, of course, in the cross of Jesus. 
Um, because to go willingly to a cross is complete foolishness. A wise person wouldn't do that. But because the death of Jesus and his resurrection takes us beyond this world and beyond the Hevel and the mist, I think it allows us to see the way forward to, to the life God wants us to live and to follow Jesus there. And that's something you can't earn by being wise or righteous. You can't figure it out. It has to be received by faith through the grace of God. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So as Christian people, if we are, we should acknowledge our lack of wisdom, I think, and our lack of righteousness and throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. And God promises to give us then his wisdom and his righteousness through Jesus and to work in us by the Spirit to give us this mind of Christ and to make us truly wise in this transformation, to give us the character of Christ and therefore to make righteousness a reality in our lives. We believe that Jesus will show us the way through the mist and beyond. So let's, think, let's pray about that. We're going to sing about amazing grace, the free grace and righteousness that God's given us. Let me pray. Lord, we acknowledge to you today the limits of our wisdom, our lack of understanding in the midst of the confusing and complex world in which we live, and we know that none of us have those answers. We pray that through your spirit, through the wisdom of Christ, would come upon us and guide us into new life with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.